Well, we're carrying on with our Proverbs series, and we're going to look under the title, Take the High Road. We're going to look at Proverbs 4, verses 18 to 27. Uh, and I'm uh, just going to read those verses to start with. This, these verses, and what I want to say, contain some very fundamental truths this morning. And, uh, uh, you know, they could be life-changing. I hope they are. I really hope they are. That's why I, I prayed that. Because I think they, they have fundamental challenges and encouragements for all of us. So, reading verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Let your foot, uh, keep your foot, I beg your pardon, keep your foot from evil. Very clear and direct and in a way quite simple stuff. But I'm going to look at these and we're going to flesh it out a bit and we're going to also draw a little bit on what Jesus says as well. Because the Word of God is a whole and it links together. And there's a little uh, saying, which I think I've probably used several times, that the, uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So, uh, you know, there are things concealed in the Old Testament a little bit, a little harder to work out, that in the New Testament you see it clearly. Uh, and equally, uh, that there are things that as you come with New Testament eyes, you make, it makes understanding of the Old Testament much clearer and more, uh, more lives for us. And I'm going to be looking, first of all, at what I'm calling the right choice, which is focusing around verses 18 and 19. And to be honest with you, I might spend most of the time there. We may have, to, we will have, I'm sure, time for a little bit of attention to the other two points. But this is where I feel on my heart I want to focus quite a bit of attention. Verses 18 and 19 say this, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And this is a principle that is pretty basically uh, basic to uh, Proverbs. It comes out quite a lot that there are essentially two paths. There's the path of the righteous or it's sometimes called the way of wisdom, which is actually in verse 11 here of this chapter 4, the way of wisdom, and the other one is the path of the wicked. These are two paths. The way of wisdom, although it's the right path, it is also practically beneficial. It is the way to, to live successfully, it would be saying here in Proverbs. It's a path of growing light and of safety and security. It takes you closer and closer to God until you're in his radiant presence. The way of the wicked, on the other hand, although it can sometimes seem adventurous and exciting, which is sort of hinted at in verses 16 and 17, which we didn't read, that that there's a sort of restless energy about the wicked sometimes and they they enjoy the violence and, and they love you know, scrapping and things like that. There are aspects of the way of the wicked which are quite exciting and adventurous, but ultimately... It has a growing darkness. It is a bewildering, confusing path that ends 
in destruction. Now, the bottom line, according to Proverbs, is that we are all traveling on one path or the other. We're either on the way of wisdom or on the path of the wicked. But as I said, in the New Testament, Jesus gives us a little more detail on this basic principle of life. It's not by any means uh, contradicting it. It's adding to it and fleshing it out a bit. And so I want to put up just a couple of verses from Jesus, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. And Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now we're going to actually look at that passage for a fair bit, for a few minutes, in the light of the Proverbs passage. For what Proverbs is talking about in terms of the way of wisdom and the path of the wicked it, it, it might, it, it is a, a valid way of describing it, but it, it might just be a look like, oh, you're going to be a good person or you're going to be a bad person. And you might think, I'm not quite sure what it's saying. Well, Jesus is beginning to help us here, not only with what he says here, but with some, one or two other things we'll notice. But the basic point is the same, and it's pretty sobering and pretty straight. Every one of us faces a choice. There are There is only really one choice because there are only two paths in life. There's the way of wisdom or the narrow path to life, as Jesus puts it. There is the path of the wicked or the broad path that leads to destruction. Now, in our day and age, people love to speculate endlessly about philosophies and religions. We don't really live in a particularly irreligious culture. Not really. We don't live in a culture that's not that spiritual. There's lots of spiritualities. There's lots of religious options and choices. Just glance along the bookshelves in Waterstones or something. You know, there's lots of stuff out there. In fact, we live in an age where the big mantra is that you can believe what you like. All roads ultimately lead to God. That is what our 21st century Western culture says. All roads lead to God. And therefore, out of that, there's a sort of hyper-choice thing about spirituality, which infects Christians as well. It's everywhere. It's in our culture that, you know, people talk about, well, how I see God, my view of God, or the way I'm a Christian, the way I, my way of being a Christian, or um, my sort of spirituality, how I see it, how I see uh, uh, spiritual things. And, And of course, people feel that's fine. That's a very uh, reasonable way to speak. And so you hear a lot of talk like that in our culture. But Jesus cuts right through it. And he says, actually, there's two paths. Now, one is very broad and one is narrow. But one leads to destruction and the other leads to life. And all of us are travelers through this world moving on a journey on one path or the other. Now, there's very real differences between the two paths and the two ways. Now, this is relevant to everybody in this room because everybody in this room is on one path or the other. There isn't a third way. There isn't a middle option. Passivity and inactivity and, well, I'm not going to make a choice, do mean you've made a choice. Probably you're still on the broad one. And it's broad because it fits in lots and lots of other things that you can do. And it can range very widely. But we'll talk about it in a moment. 
It seems broad, this path to destruction. Why? Because it embraces all sorts of options. It's actually very permissive. It's quite diverse. And that is attractive. We actually think, oh, that's broad. I like the word broad. I don't like the word narrow. And, and I mean, it's right. You, you, broad sounds, oh, that sounds nice. It's broad. It's a broad path. You don't have to do things you don't want to do. Uh, it's easy. Oh, there seem to be lots and lots of people on it. But the way of wisdom, to use Proverbs terms, is narrow. Its boundaries are clearly marked. What are they marked by? Divine revelation. Divine revelation has made very clear what the boundaries of the, of the path to life are. Travellers on that path are restricted to what God has revealed as right and good and true. Travellers on the path to life are restricted to what God has revealed as right and good and true. Now, I, I want to be straight with you here as a, a Christian to fellow Christians, which may well be true of the majority in the room. In a way, I hope it's not true of you all. I hope some of you are thinking about it. But assuming you've made a choice to follow Jesus, here's a fact. The Christian life is not an easy one. It's not an easy one. Jesus never said it would be. It's too glorious, it's too wonderful to be easy. Now, there are great blessings in being a Christian, massive blessings. I have never regretted following Jesus, never. But we cannot deny a reality that Jesus doesn't even attempt to deny. In fact, he's very straight about it, that it's not an easy path. In fact, in the verses we've read, Jesus says it will be narrow. It will feel narrow. Being a Christian feels like a narrow path. You say, oh, oh, I don't want it to. It does. Uh, I thought it was all nice. It's nice, it's good, but it's narrow. And it feels narrow. It, to our flesh, even compared to where we may be started in life, it will seem restricted and narrow. And that, particularly in our culture, though I think it's always true, is one of our battle areas. That's one of our mental battle areas because following Jesus humbles you. It strips you down to basics. It's not actually following the crowd. It just isn't. It's not following the crowd. It involves sacrifice. It can often bring persecution. Now, thank God we don't experience anything like many cultures. Right now, Christian friends and brothers and sisters in many countries, particularly in aspect, and I, Af, some of African countries like Nigeria and the Boko Haram thing, and sometimes in the Middle East, they're literally dying. And they're certainly having their church buildings race to the ground. That's actually happening in the Ukraine too, by the way. I've, we've got Christian friends in Mariupol and uh, Donetsk. I've been there. And uh, that some of them have had their buildings taken over by the rebels. They're not allowed to go near them. It's, you know, and they're, they're really, really suffering. They've had people injured and killed too. So you actually, we are very, very fortunate. And yet, even despite the many blessings, many of us will experience things like being misunderstood and mocked by people who don't follow Jesus, being criticised maybe by friends and relatives. And actually, in our country, it's increasingly less comfortable to be a Christian, significantly less. Marion and I have good friends called Stephen Ruth Brading, who've been 
involved in church planting in Australia for some years. They're probably eight or nine years, I think, they've been in Sydney. And they've just come back to live again in the UK. Now, he worked, Steve and I worked together in Hastings for 11 years, so they're good friends. And uh, we've, we've been involved with the battles for the gospel in Hastings, and we saw many things and many difficulties and many successes and all the rest of it. And we, we had a meal with them the other day, and they said, England is so different from what we left eight years ago. Uh, they, they felt the church landscape had changed. That was part of the New Frontiers experience. But actually, they said the country seems so much more aggressively atheistic, so much more uh, openly, openly scornful, and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. They, they just noticed, just eight years away and coming back, they really felt the country was different. They're both very evangelistic, so they'd already started showing their faith like they always do, and they were just saying about it. So we do live under certain pressures and restrictions. Being a Christian is not a broad, easy stroll through life. It's not. It's not like we're walking along on this massively broad, easy path uh, through. Now, the, Jesus says it's not only the paths, but the entrance to the paths that are very different. The broad way has a wide gate. There's no limit to the baggage you take on the broad way. There's no limit to the luggage you take. You can take your pride, your sins, your self-righteousness, your own ideas. You can do things my way on the broad way that leads to destruction. It's a wide, wide gate. You can carry the most clumsy, awkward-looking stuff onto the broad way. But the narrow path, Jesus says, has a small gate. It's an awkwardly small gate. There's no room for anything but you to get through. You can't take all your stuff in the same way. All your sin, all your pride, all your plans, all even your dreams, even your possessions, Jesus would say, are no longer yours. They're sort of forfeited when you follow Jesus. It's a narrow gate. It's a small gate, I beg your pardon, to the narrow path. And when you follow Jesus, you in a way die. You die to your old life. Now you come alive again to follow him and to be in his uh, body and to, and to love Jesus. And that's great, but you come alive as a servant of Jesus. So things do change. And it is a small gate. Now the gate, Jesus told us what it actually is. It's not on the PowerPoint. John 10 verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So the gate to the, tr- to the path of life is Jesus himself. It, the, the path of wisdom, we now know, as we've understood the gospel of Jesus in the New Testament, the path of wisdom, the way of the wise, whatever we call it in Proverbs, the path to life is actually following Jesus. It's actually coming through him and trusting him. He is the gate and actually he's the way. Only Jesus. You only come to life, to eternal life, to the radiance of God's presence, to the bright, brighter and brighter path that is talked about in Proverbs, you only come to it through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the gate. There is no other way. And it's a small gate because you can only enter one at a time. I, I, a bit like a turnstile, perhaps. You, you can't bundle through with a big crowd to follow Jesus. You can't just go with the flow and end up following Jesus. You can't even get in on a family ticket. It's a small gate. It's for you. There's a moment in your life where you need to come and say, Jesus, I'm following you. I want to go your way. 
That's a way of life to life, shining brighter and brighter until the blazing noonday of being in the radiant presence of God. But don't be fooled. It's not always easy. It's quite narrow. But it is exciting and right. But remember, it's not just a doddle. And Jesus said, I want you to, in a sense, take up your cross if you're going to follow me. You die to your old life and you follow him. Now, Jesus highlights another difference, which I think is a bit fascinating, and I'm going to give a moment to it. He says there's many on the broad way, and there's only a few on the narrow way. Now, actually, that's a bit of a puzzle. It's a puzzle to me when I first thought about it and was preparing on this, because I thought, well, what about your death, Jesus, being for the sins of the world? What about it saying in the Bible that you're going to see the fruit of the agony you went through, and you're going to be satisfied? You're going to be satisfied. What about, it says that in heaven, there'll be multitudes no one can number from every tribe and nation and tongue. That sounds quite a good number. So, Jesus, how does that square with this? And I felt God just remind me that when you ask those sort of questions, which I've just asked, you tend to be asking what I would call God questions. Like, they're questions God knows, God understands, but they're not always questions we get. We don't always square the circle down this side of heaven. We don't always get the full answer. But what Jesus always does, and he always does this, is he doesn't feed your curiosity. He presses the point to you. And here, Jesus is not talking about some philosophical, will there be many or few in heaven, and where will the majority be, and all that. He's not talking about that. He's talking to his disciples. In context, in Matthew 7, he's talking to his disciples about the life they will experience. And the reality is that those who follow Jesus will always feel, this side of heaven, will always feel they're on a narrow way with the minority, and it's a despised minority. And if that's bad news for you, I'm sorry, but at least it's real. That the only times you, when you're here Sunday morning, maybe you go to West Point, maybe you go to New Day or Soul Survivor or Big Church Day Out, those times are great and you'll feel good. You think, ah, right, we're all loving Jesus together. But most of the time, when you're at work, when you're in the street, when you're in the shops, when you're around stuff and people, you won't feel you're flowing with the crowd. If you're a real follower of Jesus, it will feel a bit narrow and rather a few, not too many. (laughs) It will feel like I'm a minority here and I seem to have a more restricted walk. And and Jesus said that's what it'll be like. That is the road to life. And I think he was being honest. You can't be a Christian, a real Christian. You can't be on the way to life, the way of wisdom, whatever phrase you want to use, and feel like you're swinging along with the crowd. If it feels really easy and like everybody's doing it, I'd be worried. So if you're at university, if you're at work, if you're at, and you don't find any rub, you don't find any pressure, there's no narrowness, there's no fewness, it feels like, hey, this is really cool, we all do this, I suspect that's the broad road rather than the narrow road. Now, you don't have to be weird, you don't have to be dressing odd and you don't have to, to be unreasonable and, you know, n- not, not to st- sort of able to be friendly and talk and be, have fun. But there are so many things we do differently following Jesus that it just will feel narrow. It just feels narrow. We don't do stuff like that. 
I don't even think that way. I don't want to think that way, etc., etc. You know, they're all buzzing with this 50 shades of grey thing. It stinks. I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to read it. don't want to watch it. It's just pornography. I mean, Christians just, it's not on my path at all. It's not even on it. Serious. People talk about it, think about it. Just because they're having a fuss about it, I don't need a fuss about it. And, 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 you know, I, think, I, don't, I don't live like that. I don't want to live like that. I don't believe that's what sex is about. I don't think that's what relationships are about. I think there's nothing good in it at all. You say, oh, you haven't watched it. I don't need to watch it. I don't need to climb into a dustbin to know what's in it. Don't need to. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to say so either. And I think you might actually say so to people at, at work. Would you? Oh, I'd try and be a little kinder than I'm saying it now. But I've done it. I've worked. I've been at work. I've been for, for work to school. I've had people say, what do you think? I said, I don't, don't, don't think it's good. And I, you do it. Because, and it feels narrow. And it feels like I'm the, everybody, everybody's going to see it. And I'm not, I'm not only not going to see it, I think it should be banned. So, you know, so you, 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 it just feels like that. But that's following Jesus. That's how it is. And that's what Jesus is talking about, real, real life. The road to life. And it, sometimes it's a little tough. There's, here's something, if you want to read something, good, read Pilgrim's Progress. Have you ever read, who's read Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, good, a few of you have. I mean, it's a few years old. <laughs> it's written about 350 years ago by John Bunyan. But it's an allegory, but it's a great story. It's great. It's a great way of describing the Christian life. And in Pilgrim's Progress, um, uh, the Christian... Well, he's called Christian. It's not, not that subtle. He's Christian. And he's going along with Hopeful, who's another good one. He's following Jesus. And they're on the path to the celestial city. Now, they're on the king's highway. So they're on the narrow way or the way of wisdom. But it's not called that. It's called the king's highway. And, and they're going along. So they're following the Christian life. And they're going along by a river. And it's rather nice. And the path moves away from the river, begins to go uphill. And it gets stonier and harder underfoot. And John Bunyan writes in his story, it's a great story, he writes, the way left the pleasant river. Now the way was rough, and their feet tender by reason of their travels. So the souls of the pilgrims were much discouraged because of the way. As they went on, they wished for a better way. So they're going along, and they think, oh, we wish for a better way. What actually happens is as they wish for a better way, wow, it's a beautiful field beside them. It's called Bypath Meadow. So, okay, you don't have to think hard about what it's about. It's called Bypath Meadow. And there's a fence along it with a stile. And, and, and Christian says, look, I, I reckon this goes all alongside the path. Look, the fence is along by the path. I think if we go over the stile, it's a lot easier to walk on than this stony road. And Hopeful, who's younger than Christian, is a bit, oh, I'm not sure. And Christian said, oh, come on, it'll be fine. So this is modern. It's not written like that. It's all these and thous. So they get over the stile and they walk along. See, it's okay. Oh, it's lovely. Lovely field, lovely meadow. And there's somebody else just ahead of them called Vain Confidence. And Vain Confidence is just up ahead of them. They say, oi, is this the right path? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to Celestial City. This is fine. Oh, gay ass is Christian. It's all right. So they go along on the path, and of course, what begins to happen? I mean, there's lots of bits in the story that are quite sad. But the hedge that they're alongside, they keep near. To, if we keep near to the side, we'll be fine. But actually, they can't see that the path, the King's Highway, begins to curve away from Bypath Meadow. And then they're walking along, and the the night comes, and it begins to get dark. 
and they get a bit nervous, and then they hear this scream, which is vain confidence has fallen in a pit. Actually, by the way. So they hear that scream, which is a bit, oh, what's that all about? And, and then it starts a thunderstorm, and it rains, and, uh, and they can't, they're just huddled in this field, and they don't know where they are, totally disorientated. And uh, what happens in the morning, they fall asleep, sort of in shelter, and then they get grabbed by a giant, giant despair. And giant despair finds them, he grabs them, and he takes them, and he locks them up in his dungeon in Doubting Castle. <laughs> so they end up locked into Doubting Castle, and every day, giant despair comes and beats them. There you go. Pretty vivid, isn't it? So they're going for the easy bypass meadow. They go to the, they, and then it all goes wrong, and they end up locked up in Doubting Castle with giant despairs at, at his whim. Ah, oh, do you want to know the end? Because they get out. <laughs> After several days, or longer, of misery, Christian remembers that he had, when he started on the journey, he had a key given to him. And he's got a key in a pocket. It's the key of promise. And he gets it out and he tries it in the prison door. And it works. It opens the prison door. And they begin to get out. There's lots of adventures to it. It's not just a paragraph or two. It's fun. But basically, it's full of lessons. And this is one. This is one. You know, it, they tire. They think, oh, God, oh, that'd be all right. We, we, we'll just ease it off. We just won't go Jesus' way. Won't go with the detail. And they end up in Doubting Castle under despair's power. So what's one of the ways? We'll move on quickly, because how do we avoid that happening? Because it's very vivid, but it's very possible. that It's not that you're losing your salvation, but you're losing all your joy. You're losing all the effectiveness. You're locked up, going nowhere, because you've gone off God's way of wisdom. So I want to talk briefly about a good heart, because caught up in these verses is a great little thing to help us. It's in verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You could argue this is the real key to keeping on the right path. Above all, guard your heart, for everything else you do flows from it. Phil Moore, in his commentary on these verses, says, The heart of the human battle is the battle for the human heart. Now, once again, Jesus takes this up. I haven't got time to really read this in detail because I don't want to spend too long on it. But just flicking up some verses, Jesus talks about the heart quite a bit. Look, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers. He doesn't mince his words. He's talking to Pharisees. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out, the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out, the evil stored up in him. Then this other one, if you could pop it up, Matthew 15, a few verses, a few chapters further on. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Jesus says the heart is the decisive thing, and in, in keeping alive with God, keeping on the right path with God, the heart, each one of us, is very, very important. We have to guard our hearts. Now, what are we actually talking about? haven't got long, but I want to highlight it. In the Bible, the heart represents you, the real you, your core being, your inner being. Um, I think it's Tim Keller says it is your deepest commitments 
trusts and hopes. Your deepest commitments, trusts and hopes. I think another way of describing it is to sort your emotion and your will. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's what really, really gets you going. What really underneath affects your will, which is your choices and what you do. It's your emotions and your will. It's the hidden you, and God knows all about it. Look at this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance, his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on things at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the heart is what God knows about you. Now, actually, that is pretty scary, but it's actually encouraging as well. Because God says, I know your heart. And if in your heart there is an honest desire to love him and follow him, if you have a fundamentally good heart, God sees that and knows that, even though you may fail and make, make a mess of things on the outside sometimes. But the scary bit is God really does know our hearts. And it's in our hearts that the quality changes are made to get on the right path. And it's in our hearts that the decisions are made to stay in the right place. And if we wander off, the problem started in our hearts because everything else flows out from it. It's, it's like a, a, a picture of, a, of a, a water supply here in um, Corinthians where it says, uh, you know, it, it, everything flows from the heart. You could take an illustration. If you've got a, uh, if your house, you've got a water tank in your house and it, it's rusty and dirty and polluted, it will pollute all the water in your house. So it's that sort of sense that, you know, wherever, they might have the cleanest taps in the street. You might have lovely new pipes going to the taps, but if the water in the supply is polluted, it'll come through dirty. And, I, and there's that sense that the heart is the key issue for how we live. Now, the good news, New Testament, and we need to remember that's where we live after Jesus died and rose again. The good news is that we can, through the gospel, have our hearts cleaned up and a fresh start. You can have your water tank changed. That makes sense? You can have, you can. And that is so important. Let's look at one verse, Hebrews 10. It's part of the new covenant promise. This is the covenant I will make with them. This is what we have in Jesus. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. This is marvellous. This is the gospel. When you come to know Jesus, when you come through that small gate, he, by the Holy Spirit, comes into your life. You make uh, a commitment to him. That you, you ask for him to save you and forgive you. You do have your part to play, but he then does stuff you could never do. He comes and lives in you. He gives you a new start, a fresh start, and he renews your heart. He gives you a new heart. It's like he recalibrates your heart or puts new software in it, if you like, and it, and, and it begins to be aligned towards God's things. You, you have a fresh start inside. That is a marvelous promise from the new covenant, isn't it? That is amazing. There is hope of a heart change in the gospel. And the signs of it are quite often quite early. You think, well, I didn't feel I did well. But yeah, I've noticed again and again when people become Christians, they often are very sensitive to sin. Quite early on, they're sort of sensitive to the odd swear word that still slips out. Or they suddenly think, oh, crumbs. No, I used to think that was funny, but it's horrible. And, and And that's actually like their new heart beginning to kick in. That there's a leading of the spirit. There's, a, there's a, an appropriateness and you begin to, to want to be honest about things or to want to give things back. You stole or, or, and it's the new heart beginning to work. 
And you begin to love people you once thought were horrible and you begin to try to love them anyway. and know you want to love them and begin the road of loving them. I mean, it's not all, all comes... To, but it's like you've got a new sat-nav. <laughs> you've got a new calibration inside that is beginning to take you a different path. It's God's path. It's the way of wisdom. And you need to guard that and follow it. He's taking you down a path of life because that's what happens when you follow Jesus. You get this change that begins to come from the inside out. Now that will help us to avoid bypath meadow. Guard your heart. Begin to be careful what you feed yourself on. Begin to think differently about things. Begin to allow your heart to be warmed by God's things, to, to, to get excited about him, to worship him, to love him, to read his word. You begin to find ways to feed almost or guard your inner man, your inner person. And that, that helps you to begin the process of really effectively walking down the path of wisdom, the narrow way of life, following Jesus. Just as we finish, and it is as we finish, I want to quickly look at the third thing I was going to talk about. We talked about heart. I didn't even give you the title, did I? But I'm sure you worked it out. It's not rocket science. Good heart. That wasn't very subtle, was it? And this is the final one, keep safe. How do we keep the heart guarded? That's what I'm really asking the question in these last few minutes. So are there any practical guidelines from these passages about how we do guard our heart so that we keep on the right path? Well, I think there are. And I think there's three verses, just to quickly highlight them. Here's one, verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Here's another one, verse 24. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. And here's another one, 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. I think your ears, your mouth and your eyes have great power to protect your heart or pollute your heart. So I think you've started with a fresh start as you go with Jesus. You've started on the narrow way. You're following him. How do we avoid bypath meadow? How do we avoid messing up in Doubting Castle? How do we keep going? How do we guard our heart? They're all about the same thing, really. Well, I think one of the ways, I'm not sure it's all of it, but it's a big part of it, is you are careful what you listen to, what you say, and what you watch. That's what you do. So actually, that will protect you to some degree, guard your heart, or it will pollute your heart. So, for example, and it is only example, try and give attention to God's things. Listen to God. Listen to God's word. Listen to stuff which is about God. Listen to worship about him. No, you can't. It's not that you don't do other things, but you, you actually let, make sure your ears receive stuff that is blessing your heart. Let, listen to it too. Listen to what God says. Listen to what preaching says. If it, you know, and take it on board and don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Listen to it. Another thing, avoid careless talk. I feel quite challenged by this. I often do when I read this in scripture. Because I think I say a lot of things, and I know, I know, you know, you can't, I don't want to be neurotic about it, but I say a lot of things that I mean quite casually and lightly, just letting my emotion dictate it, or being funny, I suppose, or thinking I am. And actually, I think sometimes you need to be a bit more careful. Because I think even stuff you say that is quite light, or uh, in the first place, you barely mean it, 
If you keep on saying it, it doesn't do your heart any good. So stuff like moaning and complaining, angry rants, (laughs) fashionable grumbles, cynical assessments of things, dirty suggestions, half-truths, exaggerations, lies, rudeness, things you say like that, even though you probably that one occasion you can analyse and say it's no big deal, but be careful because actually you're either going to pollute or protect with your mouth. So you can protect by not being unreal. We have got to take a balance. You cannot be unreal. I've tussled with this. I think, well, I don't want to say things are good that aren't good. I don't want to say everything's nice when it's not nice. I bust battle with that. But I've got to find a way of doing it in an honourable way that is not just a cynicism or a grumble or a little vicious comment or a snap thing or a sarcastic thing. And you're learning to say, Lord, my mouth is one way I protect or I pollute my heart. And of course, there's eyes as well. Ears, mouth and eyes. What do you look at? Do you look at things that are essentially pure, essentially of good report and right? Well, we can't manage everything. There's lots of stuff we look at we can't avoid looking at. It's just life, to some degree. But do we deliberately feast our eyes on things that are dirty and impure, that are greedy or violent or offensive? Don't feast your eyes on them deliberately. Sometimes can't avoid stuff, but you know, don't deliberately feast your eyes on them. You're polluting your heart. You protect your heart by being thoughtful about what you look at, what you say, and what you listen to. It's life. It's not for, not for laws. It's not, not a, a legalistic thing. It's how you walk. It's how you, you, you know, if you're going to stay on the king's highway effectively, you're going to need to think about how you guard your heart. Now, you can guard your heart. God's given you the, the equipment, shall we say, to walk on the king's highway. It's not impossible to do. Many of us do it and try. Sometimes we wander into Bypath Meadow, but like Christian and Hopeful, they did get back onto the path. They did get back. They got out of Doubting Castle. They used the promises of God. They ran for their lives. They did a couple of other things, which I won't bore you with. And they got back to the path. And it's great. It can happen. It's a shame, though, that they went through that huge diversion and wasted so much time and energy. And I, and I think we just need to be sharp and alive as we come to a close. It says in, we didn't read this, but in verse 12 of uh, Proverbs 4, it says this. It's about walking on the way of wisdom. Verse 11 says that. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. If you follow Jesus properly, if you keep your heart as best you know how, tuned into him and guard it as best you can, you will walk and not be hampered. That means a normal life, normal daily things, you won't keep getting hampered and tripped up. But you will run and not stumble. There'll be times of pressure, times when you're running, times when things are very moving fast and you still won't come a cropper if your heart is guarded and, you're, and you've got your eyes on the Lord and you're walking on his highway.